There's still ideas in us yet to come to fruition. There's songs in us that have yet to be written. There's businesses in us that we've yet to start. There's films that we've yet to create. There's souls that we've yet to save. That's in us. That's in us. God is developing a character in our lives that was refined by fire. A purified faith. A purified and refined character. Amen. Good morning, church. Good morning. Good morning, church. Good morning. morning. The title of today is Fire in the Church. Fire. In the church. Fire in the church. You know, God is calling us to bring fire to the church. To bring fire to Birmingham. God is calling us to bring the heat. To bring the lights. To shine our lights in Birmingham. To bring heat to our quiet times. To bring heat to our worship, to bring heat to our preaching, to bring heat to our evangelism, to bring heat to follow up, to bring heat to our Bible studies, to bring heat to our Bible talks, to bring heat to our ministries, and to bring heat to our lives. Why are they going to leave it today? On fire or be set on fire? You know, fire, fire is an interesting thing. Fire spreads. It only takes one person to be set on fire, to then set others on fire. Only takes one spark to ignite a bonfire. You know, we will either be set alight or be burnt by the heat. You know, fire is like yeast. Yeast, why is it like yeast? One piece of yeast can affect the whole batch. You know, yeast works as one of the leavening agents in the process of fermentation, which is essential in the making of bread. The purpose of any leavener is to produce the gas that makes bread rise. Amen, Mama George already highlighted that right there. And so, yeast does this by feeding on the sugars and flour and expelling carbon dioxide in the process. So it only takes a small amount of yeast to make a batch of bread rise. It only takes one person to be set on fire for God. One sold out disciple of Christ to be set on fire. Which one of us here will be the one to ignite that spark? Which one of us will be used to to be set on fire for God? To bring fire to the church. To bring a fire on the streets of Birmingham. To bring fire to our campuses when it opens up. To bring fire when you go back to your workplace tomorrow morning. It only takes one person. One person will do it and another person will follow. However, it also works vice versa. Turn your Bibles to March 8th. 
Mark 8. Yes. Point number one. Sin spreads like a wildfire. Mark chapter 8. You know, in the scripture we're about to read in Mark 8, the disciples had forgotten to bring bread. Right? And so, let's, let's actually see what it says. Let's see what it says. Mark 8. Verse 14. It says the disciples had forgotten to bring bread. Except for one loaf they had with them in the boats. Be careful, Jesus warned. Watch out for the yeast of the Pharisees and that of Herod. And the church says. Amen. So what is this scripture highlighting? You know what's ironic? What's, what's crazy is that before this point, Jesus had just fed the 5,000. So he was kind of teaching them a physical, spiritual lesson here. He was like, don't you remember I just fed 5,000 people right. with five loaves and two fish? Mm. And now you're saying that when are we going to get our next meal? They're worrying about the next meal. Right. He was like, don't you guys get the lesson? I literally just provided the food. Come on. And now you're complaining about one loaf of one bread. Uh. Like, where, where are we going to get our next meal? But Jesus said, didn't you see I already provided you the next meal beforehand? Right. 5,000 people and had 12 basketfuls left? Yes. Come on. That's who was like, watch out for these, the Pharisees. Because yeast in the scripture symbolizes evil. Mm. It only takes one little batch of yeast to affect the whole batch. Preach. So if you literally, if, if we literally have one infected piece of bread, it's like, for example, putting like a rotten apple in between other apples. Yeah. One rotten apple will infect the other apples. It only takes one little bit of yeast to affect the whole batch. Yeah. We see an example of this in 1 Corinthians 5. Let's turn there. Let's go. 1 Corinthians chapter 5. 1 Corinthians chapter 5. It says in the verse 6. Your boasting is not good. Don't you know that a little yeast leavens the whole batch of dough? Get rid of the old yeast. So that you may be a new unleavened batch, as you really are. For Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. Therefore, let us keep the festival, not with the old bread leavened with malice and wickedness, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. So what was Paul writing here in, in Corinth, in the church in Corinth? He was highlighting how disciples, because at this point, there was a lot of division in the church. Now, a lot of the times we can look at the, the church in Corinth like, ha-ha, look at those guys. Well, we remember that, oh, we're, we're like the church in Corinth. They were, having many re- they were finding many reasons to be divided. They're like, I like this person's preaching style over this person. That's why, that's why he said in 1 Corinthians, was, was, were we baptized in the name of Paul? Yeah. Yes, you're following. Like, yeah, you like Apollos' style. He may be intellectual. Yeah, you may like Cephas. He's a passionate preacher. Wow. You may look like Paul because Paul, you know, he looked a bit ragged. And he used to kill Christians. So why should I listen to him? That's why they had Second Corinthians, because they didn't listen to him initially. And so you see, there was many reasons of division. They liked to pick a certain... They liked, they liked I don't like that person's preaching style. That, that person's preaching style is too hard. Let me have that person's preaching style. Let me hear the message a certain type of way. And we know this from the church study. This is ungodly, satanic division. But we can judge. Uh, we can be like, oh, yeah, we say this to people in Bible studies. But then we, forget, we can forget we can be the same way. I don't, like, I don't like the way this person preaches, that person preaches. Please modify your message so I can, it can be easier for me to hear. But we know the Bible says in 2 Timothy 4, it says people will like not love the truth and just want to go to those teachers to tell them what their itching ears want to hear. Yeah. Come on, preach. Come on. Preach. Come on. Preach. Preach. 
But of course, what was happening here, there was so much division. And they were allowing sin to exist in the church, public sin to exist in the church. And therefore, what was it doing? It was affecting all of the members, just like yeast. Paul does not expect anyone to be sinless, amen? Right. For all sin and fall short of the glory of God, Romans 3.23. So as soon as we become disciples, we don't become sinless. Right? However, he is speaking against those who sin deliberately. And then, as a byproduct, feel no guilt. And he's speaking to disciples. He's like, hey, disciples, you guys still sin. You guys, don't, you guys don't feel guilty about it. And then they refuse to repent. What does this look like as disciples? When us as disciples know the good that we ought to do and don't share our faith. It spreads through the church like a wildfire. Sin spreads like a wildfire. What does this look like for us today? When us as disciples know we should pray, but we don't. When us as disciples fear confrontation, so we fail to call the sin out of our own hearts, confront our own sin, and then therefore the sins of other people. We begin then to tolerate sin. We begin to not then see anything wrong with disobedience. I don't see anything what's wrong with that. I don't see what's anything wrong with that. Like that can happen to us. We can see, I don't, like we could find ourselves as disciples saying, I don't really see anything wrong with that, that, like doing that sin. So I want to, so we want to justify it. We become hard-hearted and can no longer distinguish between good and evil. Yeah. How do we know this? As the Bible says in Hebrews 5, verse 11 to 14, it says, we have much to say about this. Yeah. And this was to Christians who've been Christians for a while. Yeah. Yes. He says, we have much to say about this specific topic. And the, the subtitle was, warning against falling away. Yeah. Mm-hmm. We have much to say about this. So when you're close to, when, 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 in the scripture, it says, we have much to say about this, but it's hard to make it clear to you because you no longer try to understand. So when someone, when a disciple is is, is no longer trying to understand the severity of their sin or their actions, it literally says they're about to fall away. When when, when we say, I don't don't see what's wrong with that sin. I don't don't see what's wrong with this bro or sis. I don't don't see what's wrong with it. But it's a warning. It's a a warning signal against falling away. Then in verse 12, in Hebrews 5, it says, in fact, though, by this time, you ought to be teachers. That means by a certain period, we need to be teaching the Bible. Yes. There's enough feeding and hearing sermons. we got to be out teaching. Yeah. It says you need someone to teach you the elementary truth of God's word all over again. We share the scripture with non-disciples. Yep. But this is written to disciples. Yeah. So sometimes as disciples, we can think we've arrived. Mm. And then we're above being taught or above being corrected or above being discipled. But the scripture says, yep, okay, you're warning against, you're about to fall away, my brother. But the scripture says you need someone to teach you the elementary truths of God's word all over again. What's that, what is that called modern day? Discipling. Yes. We need someone to teach us the elementary truths. That's why the scripture says after you're baptized, after we're baptized, we have to be, continue to be taught to obey. Yes. We're not above obedience. Yeah. Because the scripture then says, you need milk. I mean, he needs some milk. <laughs> not solid food. Verse 13 says, anyone who lives on milk, being still an infant, is not acquainted with the teaching of our righteousness. Acquaintance means that you're familiar with. Which means when we, don't, when, we, when, we, when we don't use the basics, when we don't use it, we'll lose it. We'll lose our convictions on the first principles. We no longer see our, our need to seek God with all of our heart. To then set the Bible as our standard, to be corrected by the Bible. To make disciples, to seek first the kingdom, to be willing to take persecution. We're too, we fear persecution. So then our family or, or, or friends in the world become our God. So then their word matters more than the word of God. We see our need because again, as a disciple, I remember one time I was my mom's birthday, and then I remember saying to, to my disciple at the time, I was like, "Oh, what well, was Frank at the time?" I was like, "Hey, Frank, can I stay in London 
to just spend time with my mom and uh, uh, with, with, with my family. He said, no, bro, you're in Birmingham now. You've got to leave. You're a missionary. You've left. So God is the time and times and places. So we're here in Birmingham. We can't be like, can I go to this place, that place for my family? You're in Birmingham. We got to own the fact that we're in Birmingham. The reason why our hearts maybe not in Birmingham, we want to move to other, other places is because we never set our heart in Birmingham in the first place. Wow. We don't love our city. We don't love the people who are lost here. Mm. Because there's already enough people in all these other cities to save people. What about you? We're here. We're here. What about us? Who's going to save the Brummies? Who's going to save? Who's going to set the fire in the church in Birmingham? Who's going to do it? We are. We're the ones set. We're the ones going to be. We're the ones chosen to set the fire here in Birmingham. Yes. That's why God put us here. Yes. So we can't be making these reasons. Can I go back to my parents? Da, 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 go on holiday. Go this place. Go that place. No, we're here in Birmingham. Come on. Because we got to save the people here in Birmingham. Yes. How about that time you spent out there? That could have been that opportunity where you could have reached out to that person. Maybe that could have been. That that could have been it. That could have been it. Come on. Then verse thirteen says, "Anyone lives." Uh, verse fourteen, rather. It says, "But solid food is for the mature." who by constant use nice. have trained themselves. Yes. So when we use the first principles, we therefore train ourselves. We could say, oh, I'm untrained to preach. I'm untrained. The scripture says you train yourselves by yes. using the first principles. We train ourselves yes. to be able to distinguish good from evil. So when we don't use the first principles, when we don't, when, when we don't, when, when, we, when, we, when we allow the basics of like even calling out sin, we will no longer be able to establish good from evil. Sin and doing good looks the same. Like, oh yeah, it, it's okay to miss this meeting of the body. It's okay to pick and choose which meeting of the body I come to or we come to. We no longer be, we no longer receptive, we no longer feel guilty. And that, what does that show? We become hard-hearted. Oh, I don't see anything wrong with being critical. I don't see anything wrong with being divisive. I don't see anything wrong with, with, with gossiping. I don't see anything wrong with slander. I don't see anything wrong by, by, by like doing these things. I don't see anything wrong with it. Yep. And that's what happens. A batch of yeast, is not, you've now, we've now been affected. Yeah. Wow. You know, we were watching Matrix on Friday. Yeah. And there was one uh, character called Cypher. Cypher was basically Judas. Oh. He, and, and this is what we realized in the film on Friday. Persecution is more deadly inside the church yeah. than it is outside. So what people, what, what we end up doing, we set up these bonfires in the church. We set up a fire in the church. Yeah. Wow. And of course, reading Leviticus 10, it was an unauthorized fire. Right. We start these unauthorized fire without God. Yeah. We start a fire, a heated debate or a heated discussion or heated argument between two disciples. There's wow. fire between two disciples. Wow. Bumping heads, never seeing eye to eye. Mm. Not seeing the reasons as, as to what the sin is. Not understanding and not seeing the scriptures, but seeing the people. Mm. That's what it is. We set fires in the church. We set fires in, and we don't see anything wrong with it. We end up lying to ourselves. We end up being conceited. You know, one sin that 2 Timothy 3 really highlights that even I can, I can glance over, that we can glance over, is where the scripture says conceit. Conceit is a sin of the heart. And we're going to dig into conceited right now. Come on, so conceited means to be blind. Wow. To be blind with pride or conceit. To be clouded. Be clouded means to darken or obscure with clouds. Just like what Birmingham looks like most of the time. Right? But be clouded. It means to obscure our view. To make confused. So to be conceited is to prevent to see clearly. To have a false image of ourselves. And because we have a false image of ourselves, we therefore see others the wrong way. 
and then therefore we see circumstances the wrong way because of our conceit, because we are conceited. Whether, it's, whether it be we think too highly of ourselves or we think too lowly of ourselves. Because conceited is not just thinking, I'm, I'm thinking, I'm, because pride is, I think too high of myself, I think I know everything, or I don't believe in myself, I'm insecure. That's right. what conceit is. Yeah. You, we have a false image of ourselves. We, we don't know our value. Mm. So then everything that we therefore see is then skewed. Come we on. see discipling as a threat. We see discipling as personal. Right. We see it as if it's a personal attack. Rather than seeing the scriptures trying to help us to be more righteous. Mm. Because yes. it's not attacking the sin that we feel, it's attacking our pride. Yes. Wow. So everything we see is skewed. Our vision is blurred. That's what it means to be conceited. It also means to be insolent. Right? Well, what does influence, uh, insolent mean? It means to be conceited. Wait, wait. Rather, it's, it's, it's to, 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 to... Let me rewrite this. So it also means to be insolent and therefore to be conceited is to show a rude and arrogant lack of respect. That's what being insolent is. It's showing a lack of respect and being very arrogant. And it's whether it be seeing an exaggerated self of one's own importance and abilities in thinking too highly of ourselves or thinking that we're not enough. Because that's what arrogance means. Arrogance literally means to see an exaggerated sense of one's own importance or abilities. Yeah. That's not just that the, I think too much of myself. That's also exaggerated thinking too lowly of yourself. Mm. So we think, we can think that arrogant just means, oh, I think I know everything. No. Arrogance also means thinking too lowly of yourself. Right. Come on. Preach. And because of conceit, there can be a difficulty to communicate the right words in certain situations. Mm. Because of how we see things, wow. it then affects how we respond. So it's not necessarily the circumstance or the people in our circumstances. It's because we become conceited that we see everything wrong. It's what we know as a filter. And I know I've been conceited. I've had a false image of myself. You know, in marriage, marriage counseling, we had a question asked and it really, really caught me deep. They asked, is there something in our past? Well, of course, me and Novella get married September 16th, amen. Like, that's, that's the good news, that's the good news. But well, before we're going to get married, we have to unpack a lot of things from our past. And the question was, is there something in our past that is affecting the way we communicate today? And I had to, I had to, I really had to, I really had to think about it. I was like, There's, there must be something that's affecting how I communicate now. Because one thing that I'm struggling to do and that I'm learning, the biggest lesson I'm learning right now is how to communicate. It's not necessarily what I say, but it's how I say it. Because... When I dug into my past, I saw, okay, man, I actually fear saying anything sometimes because of a fear of saying too much. So then, therefore, what I then say is, I'm okay, I'm fine. I'm good. And then I show, I, I might, then my undisciplined emotions show on my face that I'm not okay. But then the reason why I don't say anything is because I'm too scared I'll say too much and end up hurting the person I'm speaking to. So then, uh, therefore, I don't say anything. Come on, best friend. And, I, 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 and it can affect a relationship. Yeah. It's what we call the silent treatment. Mm. I give silent treatment to people. But then when I say too much, I then have to live with the repercussions of feeling as if I've hurt the person. And then having a deep sense of guilt. Then I become arrogant because seeing myself too lowly, like, man, I shouldn't have said that. Or I should have said it differently. And then I just sit being conceited the whole time. Mm. Come on. So then it affects the way I communicate.
even reading James 1, 19, 18 to 19, being slow, being quick to listen but slow to speak. The Spirit blows wherever it pleases, amen. Alright, thank you. Right, and so what ends up happening is that I then cut people off, fail to understand because of out of an insecurity that I say too much. And even sometimes when we hear people, when we hear people, when we, when we hear people speak, we then predict how the conversation is going to happen. We have a bunch of scriptures to disciple it rather than hearing it out. And that's been me a lot of the time. But then as I, as stated in the scriptures, a bit, a bit of yeast can affect the whole batch. So if, if that's been a condition of my heart, how much more so ours? Because we want to, we, we can want to be quick to jump to conclusions, assuming the worst of the person. Like, is this person trying to say something to me that's trying to hurt me? So then we avoid the person entirely. So then we don't feel that hurt. But then it's not really them. Remember, it's us. Because we've been conceited. We see them a type of way. We see the way they speak a type of way. And then we just, everyone's just conceited. Where the Bible says in Proverbs 3 verse 5, it says, trust in the Lord with all your heart. And lean not on your own understanding. Yeah. So we are called by the Bible to not lean on our own understanding on the way we see things. Amen. So don't we can't rely on the way we see things in the world. We can't rely on even because that's what we were encouraged to do in our marriage. We want we were like, hey, forgive quick. Mm. Have a short-term memory of like have a quick short-term memory of sin. Forgive quick. Mm. Forgive quick. And that's why as singles we got we gotta exercise this. Yeah. Because it's just two sinners, two singles coming together. When we struggle with forgiveness as a single, that's just an illustration of what a marriage is going to look like. Wow. Because we see it in, in, in 1 Samuel 25, Nabal. Yeah. You know the story about Nabal and Abigail? Yeah. Yeah. Nabal was mean to everybody. But it was just showing that he was mean to his wife. And that's yeah. why she ended up seeing David in private. And then when Nabal died, she ended up marrying David. Because of how bad the communication was in the marriage. And it was just signifying how bad the communication was when they were single. See, so we can affect us wow. and we were, we were encouraged to lean on our own understanding we can't understand we can't lean on our own understanding of how things were done in the past right. we were literally encouraged like forget forget being scared of saying things too much forget it that's that's your way of doing things that's your understanding of it mm. we're disciples people in the world were reacted like people in the world they were worldly yeah. as disciples will be directed called out corrected rebuked trained to speak properly yes but to lean on God on how to communicate, yes. how to say things. Yes. And that's why we need prayer. Yeah. Because in prayer, God teaches us how to communicate. Mm. Because we say, our Father, our Father. We say, your will be done. We think of the needs of others. Your kingdom come. Yes. Outward focus. That's how to communicate, an outward focus. Yes. But when we don't pray, it's always inwardly focused. Right. I think back to my light and darkness study, back five years ago, even being conceited in my light and darkness study. When I was told to write my sin list, I only wrote the sins in my, in my notes, and I didn't go into detail. Because of fear of the response I was going to get from saying too much. Yet now finding myself in Bible studies and light and darkness studies to call people to write in detail things that I never did. So therefore, I became conceited. And because of that, I haven't remained connected to, to my cross. To the cross and what my sins did to Jesus. And I haven't connected to my past. And therefore, we'll never see the need for compassion for other people. This convicted me so much. And so I've challenged myself 
to rewrite my sin list. Come on. In detail. Come on, Joseph. Even before I became a disciple. Come on. Not reread my old one, but to write a new one. And I encourage all of us to do the same. So we can remain connected. So we can remain connected to our sin that hurt Jesus. Because as soon as we aren't connected, we become ungrateful. And then when we're ungrateful, we have no motivation. We have no motivation, we want to fall away. Remain connected to what Jesus did for us. Because I know for me, I've been conceited to the point where I can't even tell right from wrong anymore. And whether I'm doing what is right or wrong, or how I say things. I've been deceived. The Bible says in James 1, 22 to 25, that if we don't do what the Bible says, we deceive ourselves. When we don't connect to our sins and see the severity of what Jesus did, what it did to Jesus on the cross, we deceive ourselves. When we forget what God saved us from, we deceive ourselves. When we don't get open, we deceive ourselves. When we're not honest, we deceive ourselves. When we don't give contribution every week, we deceive ourselves. When we don't go in encouragement every week, we deceive ourselves. Because the Bible says in Hebrews 2.13, it says encourage one another daily, yet alone weekly. So it protects you from sin's deceitfulness. So when we don't go on weekly encouragements, we become deceived. Mm -hmm. Just like a fire. How we are in one area is just a symptom of how we are in other areas. Conceited in one area, Conceited in all areas. Yep. Prideful in one area, prideful full stop. And pride is also insecurity. Right. Insecurity yeah. in one area, insecure in all areas. Yes. Unforgiveness in one area, unforgiveness in all areas. Yes. Deceitful in one area, deceitful in all areas. Come on. You know, we can become such good deceivers. Yep. Very good, very talented. <laughs> we can deceive others. Even to the point, we're such good deceivers that we even deceive ourselves. Yeah. We lie to ourselves. We lie so much that it can become our truth. Wow. Talk about that one. Come on. That's the world we live in today. That it isn't worth the suffering. It isn't worth the pain. And therefore we don't see the need to persevere and therefore have no character and result in being hopeless. Romans 5 verse 3 to 5. We stop our suffering. So therefore we don't see perseverance. We don't see the character that can be built, and therefore we never get to hope. Right. We're like, I'm hopeless. I can't change. We can't change. And there are a lot of us in this room who have suffered, but yet could grow as a result when we decide to persevere. All we're concerned about is just like, man, I'm just concerned about people not growing. That's why we preach every week. Bro, sis, we've been in the same, we're still in the same spot. We're still stuck with the same sins. Sis, bro, because that was me with communication. I thought I mastered communication. I was like, man, I'm still here. I'm still learning this lesson. And therefore, I've deceived myself. Come on. Only when we persevere and not stop at suffering can we finally have some hope in our lives. Come on. You know, there's this one quote. Lying has become so much the accepted norm that people lie even when it would be simpler to tell the truth. Wow. We tell lies so much. We tell lies that we can't overcome, that we can't forgive, that we can't make it to the side. We can't make it to the end, that we can't believe in ourselves. That's why I loved Jane's communion. Yes, Jane. 
We tell these lies. We say, I can't, I can't muster up the faith to forgive. I can't muster up the faith to make it. I can't believe in myself. I can't overcome this doubt. I can't overcome this, this mistake. Yet the Bible goes on to say in John 8, 44, that lying is the language of Satan. So when we lie to ourselves so much, what ends up happening is that we become bilingual disciples. Speaking the automated response of a disciple, but yet also lying to ourselves enough to speak the language of the devil. By lying to ourselves, we can become more fluent in Satan's language and lingo more than God's. We sound strange. We don't sound like a disciple anymore because we become bilingual as a disciple. And then what ends up happening is that we become, masters manipul we become master manipulators with how we use our words. And because we do that, we can no longer recognize the truth, though it's made plain to us. That we are fearfully and wonderfully made. Yeah. We don't recognize that we're fearfully and wonderfully made. Yes. That the world doesn't define us. Right. It doesn't define us. What do people say in the world doesn't define us. Right. The Bible says you're fearfully and wonderfully made. Right. Fear means to stand in awe. Yeah. When God made you, he stood in awe. Wow. He's like, look at what I've made. Come on. I've made something beautiful. Yes. He looked at Adam Shaw and he was like, I made something beautiful. He's like, I looked at Terry Braxton. Yeah. And so I made something beautiful. Yeah. He's like, I saw Raven. Yeah. She was fearfully and wonderfully made. She saw, she's, he saw Mama Georgia. Yeah. And said that she was fearfully and wonderfully made. She saw Rob. And so he was fearfully and wonderfully made. He saw Tundurai. And he was like, okay, this guy's got a bit more height than other people. You know, he, he makes other people look up to him right there. I hope that praise is not looking down to people, right? But at the same time, he's like, I fearfully and wonderfully made Tundurai. Yes, Sarah. We're fearfully and wonderfully made. Because when we, when we deceive ourselves, we no longer see this. We no longer see that we can persevere. We no longer see that we can change. We can no longer see that God is not done with us. We can no longer see that he believes in us. We can no longer see that we can actually stick to our word. Yes. That we can actually repent. Yep. That we can actually stay pure. Yeah. That even as men, we can lead the sisters. Come on, I said, no, as men, we can lead the sisters. Yes. And sisters, we can obey the word of God as we obey the men. Amen? Yes. I mean, I said, I said the sisters say... Amen. Okay, amen. Because if we, if, we don't, if we don't see the truth plain in front of us, when we deceive ourselves enough, when we lie to ourselves enough, we won't see that we can sustain biblical boundaries in our relationships. Amen. That's good. That's good. Because we won't be able to see that. We won't be able to see sin clearly. We won't be able to see that sexual morality, we won't be able to see it in our life. We won't be able to identify it. No, that's sexual morality. We won't be able to identify that jealousy. That jealousy is a sign of idolatry. Wow. You know, I remember dating Novella. Or even before dating Novella, actually. I actually became jealous. I saw, I remember recounting it to this day. I remember seeing it in front of my eyes. Seeing Novella speak to that brother. Come on, Novella. I remember. And I remember the brother said to me, when I got, when I got open in my bed, he was like, bro, she's not yours. And he highlighted that a, a feeling of jealousy is just a sign of an idol. 
Nevada became an idol to me. She's not mine. She's God's daughter. Even right now, she's still God's daughter because we're not yet married. We're not one until we get to the altar. You know what is jealousy? Jealousy is not wanting anyone else to have what you have. I don't want you to speak to anybody else. Oh, when, when, whenever you're speaking to that person, bro, I feel, oh, that's an idol. It's an idol. Whatever we feel jealous of, it's not ours. It's an idol. You know, I, saw, I always saw the need to check on Novella every meeting of the body, to talk to her every meeting of the body, and we spoke every day at one point. Even to the point of speaking like three, four hours on the phone. Without getting advice. And then what ended up happening is that we had something called skyscrapers. What, what was the skyscrapers? Overtly texting. So many... Yes. We had a lot. We had to scroll. And you know how long it took to reply to one another? Two hours. Two hours. And then I had a nice, awesome smoking rebuke. I had my fair share of heated discipling, just like the barbecue right there. But as a result, because of the rebukes, because allowing people to tell me who I am, no longer deciding to be conceited, as a result, we got advice. We obeyed, we kept boundaries. We got advice, and then she became my girlfriend in January 2021. Engaged in October 2022. And finally about to be married on the 16th of September 2023. But it took setting on fire the sin of idolatry. In order for that to happen, I had to, I had to make the decision of setting on fire the sin of idolatry. Because anything can change our minds and hearts. Anything that can change our mind and our hearts is an idol. We got to set our sin on fire. To set something on fire is to get rid of it. You know, what sin is hindering us from being set on fire for God? You know, we will either be set on sin, well, we will either set sin our sin on fire or our sin will set us on fire. How do we know? The Bible says in Revelation 21 verse 8, but the cowardly, the unbelieving, the vile, the murderers, the sexual immoral, those who practice magic arts, the idolaters and all liars, they will be consigned to the fiery lake of burning sulfur. This is the second death. Amen. On judgment day, God wants to set all our sins on fire. This brings a whole new context to what the Bible says in John 6, John 5, rather, verse 14. As, the, as, the, as Jesus said to the invited man, stop sinning or something worse may happen to you. Right. What does this highlight? Because the, 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 the invited was healed, but we're still in sin. So we can still be disciples, but still be in sin. Wow. We either set our sin on fire. Right. Or our sin will set us on fire. But the good news is, is that we can change. The truth can still set us free. Wherever we've been held captive to, make the decision today to be set free and to set your fire, to set sin, to set sin on fire. The Bible says in Genesis 27 verse 14, the NLT version, when we decide to break free, we will shake the yoke from our neck. Woo! Birmingham Church, let us not be set on fire by sin, yes. but set on fire our sin and be on fire for God. Amen? Amen.
Point number two, faith refined by fire. Turn your Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 1. 1 Peter 1. You know, disciples at this time were going through very heavy persecution. They were killed for their faith, yet they were greatly rejoicing despite having to suffer for a little while because of the persecution. And the scripture states in verse 7 in 1 Peter 1, these, this is representing the persecution and suffering, these have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. And the church says, Amen. you know, this scripture states that the fires of persecution, that the fires of life have come to produce a, a faith far greater than the worth of gold. Yes. That God is producing a character in our life far greater worth than gold. You know, gold is purified by fire. Like, true, like actual gold, amen? Uh, yeah. So yeah. what does this look like? Impurities on gold are invisible from the outside to the naked eye. So the goldsmith must patiently and intentionally hold the gold over the hottest part of the fire, liquefying it. Only then will the imperfections hidden will rise within it, rise to the surface, so the refiner can then carefully skim the dross until the surface is clear. Nice. This process is repeated until he can see his reflection in the purified liquid. Wow. So he keeps putting it to the hottest part of the fire and keeps putting off the dross until he can see his reflection. Nice. And just like a goldsmith, God is continuing to put us over the hottest part of his fire. Yes. The hottest suffering. The hottest discipling, yeah. the hottest challenges in our life until he can see his reflection in us. God purifies us with his presence. And we get to see him every single morning. So we're purified every morning. Just his presence alone burns away that is which unholy. Unholy. That's why, again, I love Jane's communion. Hope and holiness. He burns away any lack of fruit. Yep. He burns away any lack of conviction. He burns away any lack of preaching. He burns away any insecurity. He burns away all idols, burns away all impurity and all unforgiveness. Which means we haven't yet to reach our full potential, family. There's more in us than yet we realize. There's greatness inside us that we've yet to tap into. Untouched areas of faith that we've yet to discover, new levels of perseverance, yes. new levels of deep conviction, new levels of deeper character, yes. the people that we've yet to save, that is in each and every one of us. Yes. God is not done with us. Yes. God is not done with us. The Bible says in Acts 13, when David has served his purpose, God's purpose in his own generation, he died. Right. We're still alive yes. because God has still yet to fulfill the true potential and purpose in you and in us. There's still ideas in us yet to come to fruition. Yeah. There's songs in us that have yet to be written. Yeah. There's businesses in us that we've yet to start. There's films that we've yet to create. There's souls that we've yet to save. That's in us. That's in us. God is developing a character in our lives that was refined by fire, a purified faith, a purified and refined 
character. On, Let's take advantage of this opportunity to develop godly character. Yes. You know, we got to ask ourselves the question, why not our faith be tested? Yes. Why not? Yes. Why not our faith be stretched? Yes. Why not me? Wow. Why not try me? Ooh. Why not persevere and endure the trial? Yes. Why not cut off what is hindering our growth? Yes. Why not be discipled? Yes. Why not be pressured to grow? Yes. Why not be more Christ-like? Yes. Why not be controversial? Yes. Why not be confrontational? Yes. Why not? Yes. Why not? To be like these things is to be exactly like Christ. Yeah. And when we be like Christ, we get Christ-like results. Man. That means he was content in being single. Very true. So we get Christ-like results. Amen, singles. That means we won't be liked by everyone. We won't be liked by everyone. How do we know this? The Bible says in Luke 6, 26, it states that's how they treated the false prophets. So if we're worried about being liked by everybody, it's okay. That's how they treated the false prophets. To be confrontational is to be like Jesus. People yeah. won't like us. Yeah. We have to accept that people will hate us. John chapter 15 verse 18 says, if they hated me, if they hated you, they hated him first. Yeah. You know that being at the hottest part of the flame, we will come forth as gold. As Job 23.10 perfectly says, when he has tested us, I will come forth as gold. Job 23 verse 10, fire scripture. That's, that suffering has happened in our lives for a purpose. Let us finish the test. Let us finish this week strong. Yeah. Let us finish this month strong. Yeah. Let us finish this year strong. Yeah. It's not about how we start, yeah. but how we finish. Yeah. Ecclesiastes 7 verse 8. God's first priority in our lives is to make us fruitful, yes. not comfortable. Yeah. That's right. it. That's it. Whatever we are going through is for a positive purpose in our life if we handle it correctly. God is personalizing our troubles in our lives to help us move forward in his design for our lives. He wants to bring us to a place of abundance. Just like Joseph in the book of Genesis. What happened, you asked? Disowned by his brothers, sold to slavery, falsely accused of sleeping with another man's wife, helped other people be set free, but then got a dream from God to help set everybody, like to provide food because of the famine that was gonna happen. And so what ended up happening, he forgave his brothers. But, because, but the scripture says he saw, what, he saw his suffering. He only saw the purpose of it in that moment when he was in front of his brothers. He didn't see it in the past years of the suffering. Yeah. But he only saw it in the moment when, when, he, was, when he was there to forgive his brothers. Wow. And you know what resulted in Exodus chapter 1? It says that Joseph, after they died, his people were abundantly fruitful. Mm. So after the suffering comes the fruit. Yeah. Come on. So the challenge Come on. is simple. Finish the test. Yes. Finish the refining Come by God. On. Why not be persecuted? Why not get your parents like, why not get our parents saying, oh, why are you so dedicated to this, to this church? I'm not dedicated to this church. I'm dedicated to the church as a byproduct because I'm dedicated to God. I'm trying to look for the fully committed people. There's so many church. Okay, which is the fully committed? That one. This is the fully, this, we find full commitment here. We don't find strength. We can say we're weak, but there's a difference between being weak and not being committed. You can be weak, but fully committed. Because the Bible says in 2 Corinthians 16 verse 9, Strengthening comes from commitment. It says the eyes of the Lord range throughout the earth to strengthen two hearts are fully committed to Him. You can be weak. It's okay to be weak. It's okay not to be okay. But just remain committed. Because that's where we'll get our strengthening. Just finish the test. Point number three, and I'm bringing for a close. Our God is a consuming fire. Hebrews 12. Hebrews 12, our closing point. Our God is a consuming fire. Hebrews 12, verse 28 to 29 says, Therefore, 
since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. Let us be thankful and so worship God acceptably, which means we can worship God unacceptably. We worship God acceptably with reverence and awe for our God, not just my God, our God is a consuming fire. We serve a God that is a consuming fire. The nature of our God is fire. And since we're made in the image of God, he has designed us in a way to be on fire. Come on, Joe. Because we're made in the image of God. So we have it in us to be the image of God, to be a consuming fire, to be the light, to bring the heat, to bring fire to the church. Come on. Come on. And something about fire is that fire cannot be controlled. It cannot be contained. You know, imagine the Birmingham church with uncontrollable baptisms. Imagine the church having uncontrollable miracles. Imagine the church where there's too many miracles. Because we see it in Acts 2. There was 120 disciples. But yet they had 3,000 baptisms in one day. That means they had to disciple 25 people each. That's a very good problem. The church was out of control. The church certainly got out of control. Because then in verse 47, it says the church grew daily. The church grew rapidly in the book of Acts. Fiery persecution, fiery convictions, Mm. fire worship, Mm. fire evangelism, Mm. because we serve a God who is a consuming fire. Yet fire also includes pain and loss of control, intense pressure and change. So we have to be okay with not being able to control the fire, control the discipling, control our lives, control our relationships, control... Fire is out of control. You can't control fire or you'll be burnt by the heat. You'll be burnt by the discipling. We'll be burnt by the discipling when we try to control our lives. We try to control the fire that God's trying to unleash in us. Fire can't be directed. It can only be transferred. The challenge is simple. Stay close to the fire. Stay close to the fire. Do whatever it takes to stay close to the fire. And of course, who's the fire? It's God. Our God is a consuming fire. Stay close to God. Do whatever it takes. Even if you need to do a prayer walk from here to wherever. Even if you need to fast for X amount of times. Do whatever it takes to restore our relationship with God. Yes. Stay close to the fire. Yes. Stay close to the fire because soon enough you'll be set on fire. Man. You will be set. Have faith. Yeah. Have faith that you can be on fire. Come Don't on. allow what's happening right now to define your later purpose. Yeah. God's not done with you. You're still alive. Yeah. We're still alive. Do whatever it takes. Do whatever it takes to stay close to the fire. And let's save those, many of those, from the fires of hell. I'll close up with this, with this one scripture. Jude Come chapter on, 1 verse 22. Yes. It says, be merciful to those who doubt. Save others by snatching wow. them from the fire. Yes. It says, be merciful. Save others by snatching them from the fire. Wow. To others, show mercy mixed with fear. You've got to show mercy, but with fear. Hating even the clothing stained by corrupt flesh. So when we disciple people, we, 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 have to, we have to instill instead the fear of God with a touch of mercy. Yeah. We'll rather have mercy with a touch of fear. Let's be focused on depopulating hell. <laughs> Let's snatch people from the fire. Yeah. The Greek for snatch is harpazo. It means to take openly by display force. So snatch people from the fire. Yeah. Snatch them. Yeah. Snatch them. Yeah. Even disciples. Some disciples are looking at oh, the fire. Oh, it's looking tempting. 
Snatch people, snatch disciples from the fire. Let us be forceful. Let us fan into the flame, the baptisms, the miracles, the wonders. Let's set a fire in the church by setting our sin on fire, finishing the test and staying close to the fire. I also challenge us to be personally fruitful by the end of the year. I love you and to God be all the glory.